everybody and welcome to episode four, I think, of uh, of me watching um, animated Disney media. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of non-actual movies in, in this episode, at least, so that's why I'm b- being vague about it being um, all movies. Um, but yeah, we watch another, I believe it's 17 movies in, in this one. Uh, we get our third perfect movie out of this one. Um, if you know me at all, that should come as no surprise, but there you go. Uh, there's a couple of hidden gems and yeah, there's some, there's some good stuff in here. There's some bad stuff in here too. Don't get me wrong. I got right proper mad at one of these fucking movies. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good group of good group of reviews. I'm really tired. Um, it's a, it's a long week for me. Uh, but we were, we were able to get this done anyway. So I hope you all enjoy it. And um, I'll I'll just let me talk about Disney movies for a little while. Enjoy. All right, it is the beginning of round four of Disney's animated movie marathon, starting with Iron Man and the Hulk: Heroes United, which is the first Marvel uh, animated movie I've ever seen. Um, and if they're all this bad, then oh god. This isn't, I mean, it's fairly linear. Um, there's like zero subplots going on. Hulk is a lot more eloquent than um, he tends to be in most media. But I guess that makes sense because if he was basically Hulk smash the whole time, it's not much of a movie. But hey, you know what? Even with his um, ability to speak like actual sentences, it's still not much of a movie. Um, the, the pair of them team up against Zack's. Uh, the, the, the electric being, and, um, they fight for like an hour and 13 minutes. And that's basically the whole film. Um, not a whole lot going on here. Uh, it's not animated particularly well. It doesn't have like any, you know, it's, it's like a comic book, but not a particularly good one. Two out of 10. James and the Giant Peach was one of those movies that I remember when I was a kid. Um, I also remember like skipping the live action bit, kind of like how when you watch The Wizard of Oz, you you wait until color kind of kicks in before you start paying attention. It's just like the, the more interesting part of the movie, it happens when it's stop motion. Um, and this is one of those movies where it's like, ah, oh, it's Tim Burton. He produced it. But that's basically it. It was directed by somebody else. It was written by somebody else. It was written by Roald Dahl. I mean, you know, it's one of those movies. Um, but it's really kind of like a classic 90s, like, movie where, like, the, the Guardians are just evil. And, you know, the kid goes on this magical adventure. And the, the logic of the movie kind of just breaks down because, you know, it's magic and who cares. Um, but it's a, it's a fun movie. Like, he goes on this adventure. He has all of his bug friends. Um, he's got like a spider and a ladybug and all that crap. And uh, eventually they go to New York and the, the villains get what's coming to him. And then he lives happily ever after with his bug family who presumably only live for like, you know, four to six months before they all die. Because you know, they're bugs anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a fun ride. Um, and I actually had a song in there that I remember from when I was a kid, but I had completely forgotten about. And that's the we're family song. Um, cause that's on like a lot of like Disney classic collection album stuff. Um, and I had completely forgotten about that song, like a hundred percent. Um, but that's a, 
Because, like, as soon as that fucking, like, violin kicks in and is like, and I was like, this sounds a lot like, you've got a friend me. And the reason it sounds like that is because Randy Newman did the music for both movies. Um, at least, Randy Newman sings the final song. So I'm guessing, yep, music by Randy Newman. That's why. I'm like, it has a very similar theme to it. It's because it's the same dude. Like, a couple of years apart, too. So, you know, it's just, it's pretty funny. Um, I didn't know uh, Jeff Bennett did the, the singing voice for Mr. Centipede. Good for you, Jeff. You're a, you're a good voice actor. Susan Sarandon was Miss Spider. Okay, I'm like, she sounds so familiar, but I couldn't place it, like, the whole time. And then the, the beat cop Mike Starr. He's been in a couple of things um, that, I've, that I've enjoyed him in. Uh, where would I have recognized him the most, though? Hmm. That's a good question. I recognized him as soon as I saw him, but I'm like, what have I seen you in, you, you champion? I saw you in... It must have been TV. Hmm. He was in Home Improvement? No, that would have been it. Deep Space Nine? No. Scrubs, Mr. Iverson. I think that's it. I think I saw him in Scrubs. Anyway, yeah, this movie gets a whopping... I'll give it a 7 out of 10. It's pretty goddamn good. I've seen a lot of shit on this list. There's been a lot of really terrible movies. Um, a lot. Like, more than more than there probably should have been. And I'm not sure if it's because I actually, like, watched some of this when I was a child, and I knew the characters, or if I was just in the mood for something kind of goofy, um, and not like, I don't, The Kim Possible movie, so the drama, isn't bad. It's absolutely like a TV movie, you know? But, yeah. You know what? Yeah, it does It does what it's supposed to. Um, it acts as a really nice wrap-up to the show. Um, I still don't believe that Kim and Ron, like, would make a good couple. Um, but it has... I'm, I'm a sap for romantic crap. Absolute sap. So, yeah, you know what? It got me a little bit. I was just like, oh, good for them. Those kids are going to break up in, like, two months. But good for them. You know, it's it's fine. I mean, if you haven't seen the show, I think you're probably not going to enjoy it nearly as much. Um, but having seen episodes of the show and, you know, uh, I think there was even a period in high school where the uh, do-do-do-do was um, my text notification because it just was, like, the perfect text notification. So... You know what? Yeah, Kim Possible, the movie, so the drama. It's called Kim Possible Movie, so the drama. That's what it's called. Um, I'm going to give that a 6 out of 10. It's it's a TV movie, so don't go in expecting much. And I can't say the animation's bad because it just looks like the show. It's supposed to look like that. So, yeah, you know what? Fucking 6 out of 10. It was a, it was a, it was a pleasant movie, and it, I just kind of sat there and smiled. So, at the end of the day, that's all you want, you know? Movie made me happy. Y'all know me. You know, I enjoy myself some Patrick Warburton. And, uh, he's probably the best part of Emperor's New Groove. I'm not doing a Patrick Warburton impression, I'm just talking. Anyway, um, that movie's great. Everybody likes Emperor's New Groove. It's a real solid film. So what do they do? They decided to take everybody's favorite secondary character and put him at the forefront of a second movie. It's called Crocs New Groove. With the distinguished honor of being one of the few movies in Rotten Tomatoes to have a zero... As, a, as its rating score. And I'll tell you why. Um, 
one, it's an anthology movie, so you got that right off the top, uh, which means it's three tiny stories disguised as a feature film. Two, uh, it, it took all of the jokes from the first movie and then just did them again. They're not even... They're, it's like the same, but just a little different, but it's the same. It's the same joke. Um, I mean, outside of that, the animation is pretty much the same, but it's... It has no value. It might make you laugh a little bit, but you're also going to sit there and go, ha ha it's funny. Wait, there's another hour of this? Oh, boy. Oh, boy, 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 boy. So, yeah, Kronk's New Groove. I mean, technically, I didn't even finish it. So, by my rating system, I kind of have to give it a 0 out of 10. I'm not sure it's watchable. I just, I just fucking tapped out. Um, I just couldn't do it. It's such a, it's such a downstep from the Kim Possible movie. It's kind of crazy. So, yeah, no, um, couldn't, uh, couldn't do that. And it's uh, kind of surprising because the Crocs New Groove has a, you know, it's got all the original voice, voice actors. It has Tracy Ullman. It has John Fiddler from, like, 12 Angry Men, who was in the first movie. Um, Bob Bergen, the original... Was he the original voice? Uh, no, he wasn't the original voice, but he he currently does the voice for um for Porky Pig. Um, he's you know there's some there's some there's a couple of powerhouses of uh fucking voice acting in this in this fucking movie, but you know it's just it's just not enough. Also, I didn't know Yzma was voiced by Eartha Kitt of all people. Orson Welles once called her the most exciting woman in the world, and she was a. Uh, she was, uh, and she was Catwoman in the original, in the third and final season of the TV show Batman with Adam West, Eartha Kitt. Anyway, that is, uh, Crocs New Groove. It gets a zero out of ten. Despite its talent, despite the animation being pretty much the same as the original movie. And I bring that up because most of these straight-to-video DVDs look like absolute shit. But this one looks like the movie. It looks like the first movie. So the animation's pretty solid. So, you know... You think it'd be, it's just, it's just, it doesn't have anything, anything that makes it worth watching. Nothing, no redeeming qualities. Besides the animation, I guess. The Jungle Book. Why this movie came out at 56 and a, no, when did it come out? 67? I think it was 67. Checking, confirming, 67. Hell yeah. Oh, shut up, phone. Um, this is, uh, it, I mean, you know, it's the Jungle Book. It's, uh considered a Disney classic. It's got some really good songs in there. Looking at you, Bare Necessities. Um, it's got some pretty good villains. It's a fairly simple story, but that doesn't make it bad. Uh, animation's really good. The songs are really catchy. You know, it's the Jungle Book. Um, you got little Magoo. Uh, little little Magoo uh, living in the forest. He brought up by some wolves for like six seconds. And then he gets passed off to the panther. And then the panther tries to take him to the man village. Gets caught up with a bear and then some monkeys. And then uh, there's some beetles, vultures, um, which I thought was pretty amusing. And then uh, Shere Khan shows up and they light his ass on fire and he runs away. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> and uh, Baloo does a fake out death, but doesn't actually die. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that scene is sad, but, you know, Baloo doesn't die. So, shrug. Um, but, yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it doesn't blow my mind. Um... So, but it's it's certainly a, a really a really solid Disney movie. So, good old fashioned seven out of ten. 
Jungle Book 2. Technically didn't finish it. And the only reason I didn't finish it is because I've seen that movie before and it's called The Jungle Book. It even has the exact same, like, fucking songs in it. There's a couple of new ones, but hey, if you like Bare Necessities, get ready to hear that, like, two to three more times. It's... I couldn't couldn't do it, unfortunately. Solid cast. Tony J as Shere Khan. Good choice. John Reese davies was there. Mae Whitman, who was the voice of, uh, fucking, uh, Katara in Avatar The Last Airbender. It seems like a passable sequel with some decent talent behind it, but I, I like... The Jungle Book was not necessarily a world I needed to see more of, and a story about Mowgli missing the jungle, going back to the jungle, getting sick of the jungle, and then basically having a balance between the, the man village and the jungle where he can visit Baloo and Bagheera daily. I mean, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, apparently, that does not follow the plot of the second Jungle Book actual book, which I think is funny. Um, but, yeah, there you go. Technically didn't finish it, but I'm still going to give it like a 4 out of 10, because if you do watch it, that's about what you're going to get. Um, yeah. And it's funny to me, like, I'm looking at this, this screen of movies where it's like Jungle Book, Incredibles, Iron Man and the Hulk, Lady and the Tramp is next, and I'm like, I just kind of want to watch the Kim Possible movie again. There's something about that, that it was so different from everything else that I'd seen so far because it was like, I don't know, kind of action-adventure-y. Well, I guess I have seen some action-adventure-y things. I don't know, maybe it was also because it was like, more nostalgic for me. I'm not sure, but I'm gonna watch The Lady and the Tramp. Lady and the Tramp is, um, well, first, before I get too deep into this, um, fuck Aunt Sarah. Not strictly a villain. Um, this movie doesn't really have a villain, except for, like, change and, um, freedom versus comfort. I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> Sorry, it's like 8 in the morning. You could probably argue it in a million different ways. But fuck Aunt Sarah. That old bitch. Oh my god. I haven't hated a Disney character like that in a long time. Fuck Aunt Sarah. Absolutely. And she never, like... She doesn't really get her comeuppance, you know? She doesn't get shit for for being just, like, a terrible person um, to Lady. Uh, or, like, the child. Or just in general like fuck Aunt Sarah and the fact that there's no payoff like fucking god damn it missed opportunity anyway um this movie's also racist as fuck I know everybody always focuses on the Siamese cat bit and to, to be fair that is quite awful because uh the the voice actress for the cats was named like Peggy Lee I believe um and she was absolutely not Siamese um or a cat so I guess that's the trauma twofer um and then there's the chihuahua and the dog pound that does like the racist mexican chihuahua thing and then there's there's a lot of stereotypes of like cultures in this movie as well uh, like the scottish terrier singing um uh, uh while, while digging the bone hole uh he sings uh, a spoof off of Loch lomond which um i only caught because i actually know that song but you could argue that that is also culturally offensive. Um, yeah, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of bad. It's bad accent hour all over the place. And as a person who almost exclusively performs in bad accents, um, you know, I can see how those are culturally insensitive. Um, yes. So for all of those reasons, Lady and the Tramp is already marked down pretty heavily. 
Um, and then we deal with the the tonal confusion of the movie. There was a bit like right at the end where one of the hound dog gets like hit by a cart and is presumed dead. And we get about three seconds of that dog is dead sadness before it just cuts to Christmas and like hard cut to Christmas. And it's like months later and like it just happens. And there's no like moment to breathe or anything. It just goes blam and you're just you're just there. So that's that was jarring um in the extreme. And there's a couple of other moments throughout the movie like that. So it doesn't really know what it wants to do throughout the film. Um, pacing's a little strange as well, but that's fine because, you know, these, this is an older movie and they didn't really know what the fuck they were doing. Um, well, at least this movie didn't know what it was doing. Other movies at the time period absolutely know what they're doing, but people were a lot more patient then for, for things like this. I will say, God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. I will say that the background art in Lady and the Tramp is stunning. It is it is on a level that is that far exceeds what this movie was worth in my opinion. It's incredible how how some like the the attention to detail and just some of those shots. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. It is it is a beautiful movie. It is a, it is a testament to how good 2D animation truly can get. And um, I don't think uh, I've seen another Disney movie that was on that level of detail. It's it's on a, it's on its own level. So, and of course the the scene with the spaghetti and Bella Note is one of the most iconic Disney scenes ever. So for for the plus reasons, and if we if we take into account the plus reasons and we take into account the minus reasons, it kind of balances out. And I, unfortunately, I got to give this movie a five out of ten. It's got some really good stuff, but then it's got some really bad stuff. So it kind of slaps right in the middle. And even five seems a little high for me. I think the bad outweighs the good in this movie, um, personally. But that's that's my opinion. I will I will say that you can watch Bella Note and take a look at some of those images, and you're you're set. I have absolutely no idea what the live action remake of this movie is, uh, but I can almost guarantee, almost 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 guarantee, can't guarantee a hundred percent because I haven't seen it that those racist Siamese cats are not in that movie. That being said, it's kind of because of the cats that like the whole plot really gets going. So I wonder how they like worked around that. I suppose it could have just been like non-racist cats and just like, hi, my name's Tufty. I'm going to fuck your shit up. So Disney movies have a, have a, have like a, well, not a history, but I believe this is the second movie. Actually, no, because I was about to be like, Cats tend to play villains in Disney movies, but no, that's not the case at all. There just happen to be two villain cats that I can think of. There was Lucifer with Cinderella, and then these two cats in Lady and the Tramp. But then you got the Aristocats, where cats are like the fucking main character. And then you got Mittens from Bolt, who is like the 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 heart of that movie, really. Um, when do the movies have cats in them? I'm gonna look at the list. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do this real quick. What other what other animated movies had cats in them? Let's take a look. Um, do 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 do. Oh, it was the Cheshire Cat, I guess. Yeah, the Aristocats already mentioned. Lucifer from Cinderella. Um, no cats in any of those. There was a there was a uh, there's 
what what was her name like precious in uh the great mouse detective there's like a there's a big fat cat that eats um eats the mice when they're misbehaving yeah i guess that's it um not really other any other like prominent cat characters at least not until we get to like lion king where they're all cats but um but yeah lady and the tramp gets a gets a five out of ten so and it's not that i didn't like i don't know there's just a lot of a lot of racial stereotypes in that movie far more than dumbo in my opinion it amazes me that they hid dumbo but lady and the tramp with like five different racial stereotype characters that are pretty offensive in my opinion that one no they just it's fine okay cool that's fine whatever The, the, the joy of watching these movies comes from the hidden gems that kind of blindside you and you look at the title and you go, Lady and the Tramp 2 Scamp's Adventure? That sounds terrible. Why would I want to watch that? It's pretty good. The animation's pretty solid. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the storyline. It's definitely not, you know, totally original. Um, I could sit here and be like, eh, Patch's Adventure in London from... 101 Dalmatians is kind of similar or pretty much any movie where they go, I don't belong here. I want to be a blank. And then they go and be a blank. And they're like, wait, no. Family was the, what was the most important the whole time. And then they learn their lesson and that's it. Um, the character of Angel is fucking adorable. She is super sweet. Voiced by Alyssa Milano. Um, who And the, the voice... I'm, I'm going to take a quick second here. Uh, voice cast of this movie is splendid. It is absolutely splendid. You got Alyssa Milano as Angel. You got Jeff Bennett as Tramp. He does a great job. But this movie for me is a um, is like Disney's greatest hits from the Renaissance come come back. So Jody Benson is the voice of Lady and the singing voice for Lady. And Jody was Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Roger Bart is the singing voice for Scamp. And he also was the singing voice for Hercules. And then you got Susan Egan being the singing voice for Angel. And she was Meg from Hercules. So you've got Hercules, Meg, and Ariel singing this fucking soundtrack. And you you gotta sit there and you'd be like, oh, well then it was probably like a really good selling soundtrack, right? Because like, those are some fucking Disney powerhouses. It was never released on CD ever they never they never released it for you to buy you can't buy the lady and the tramp 2 soundtrack it doesn't exist so i was just like damn it because there were some good songs on here like the the fucking um i didn't know i could feel this way song uh which is just basically fucking um can you feel the love tonight um which is not a bad thing i thought it was very sweet um there were some genuinely funny moments in this movie that that made me laugh I thought overall the plot was pretty pretty fine. Um, yeah, no, I mean like, in terms of straight to DVD movies, this is this is top three. Um, you got Bambi two, you got Lady and the Tramp two, and then you got Lion King two for me. I know we haven't gotten to Lion King two, but I've seen that one previously and I love it. So, like, it's it's really solid. I mean, we're talking solid. Who? Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. It doesn't really have many issues, to be perfectly honest with you. It's a little simplistic at times. 
Um, and you can read where the movie's going a mile and a half away. Um, but I think I actually kind of prefer it to the original. I think this one has a clearer story. It's got all the fun characters from before. And um, I'm a sucker for those voices, those singing voices. They all sounded amazing. So, yeah, Lady and the Tramp 2 gets, a, gets an 8 out of 10. Surprising everybody, including myself. And so begins the first of five 20-minute micro-movies that are all a part of this seven-part series called The New Yoda Chronicles, um, which is Lego Star Wars stuff. I mean, these aren't really movies. They're on the fucking movie list, like, as a movie. And I'm sure if they were all edited down into a movie, it would be a movie. Um, But it's on the list, so it gets watched. Uh, part one, technically, um, for the five that are on Disney Plus, is Escape from the Jedi Temple. Uh, I mean, it's Lego stuff. And if you haven't seen, like, Lego shorts before, they're pretty funny. And, um, you know, it's usually pretty harmless. Um, it's not a feature-length thing, which I would classify to be at least an hour. So Dumbo barely made the cut. So, it's not really a movie. It's entertaining. So, you know, if you if you like Star Wars and you like the funny shit, then you'll be fine. I mean, it's meant for, like, younger kids, but it's real funny. And it actually is technically canon, I believe, because pretty much anything that's in movies or on TV in the Star Wars universe is considered canon. So, um, and it kind of fills in some gaps between um, episodes four and five, more or less, um, is what it... Uh, is what it fills in. It also fills in some gaps, but like pre uh, New Hope. So you know, if that's a, if that's your jam. You could check check it out. I, I like to escape from the Jedi Temple. I imagine the other parts will be more or less the same. So let's uh, no, let's find out. These sorts of discoveries only come from me being like the only person who watches literally everything on Disney Plus. So there are five Lego Star Wars: The New Yoda Chronicle videos on Disney Plus. There are seven in the series, right? And so I looked up like the list to get the order. Just for the record, here is the order. Escape from the Jedi Temple, Race for the Holocrons, Raid on Coruscant, and then the final episode is tricky. There's two left, right? Clash of the Skywalkers and Duel of the Skywalkers. I thought it was weird that they were both titled fairly similarly. So I watched Class of the Skywalkers first because that was the one on the list and then I was going to watch Duel of the Skywalkers second. It is the exact same special called Two Different Things. I have absolutely no idea why. But it's the exact same special. Class of the Skywalkers and Duel of the Skywalkers is the exact same thing. It's on Disney Plus twice. And I don't understand it. There are seven parts. There are five on Disney Plus. Except there's actually only four. I've now seen all four of the of the Lego New Yoda Chronicles, um, and actually those four together make a fairly okay story um, using characters from the Star Wars lore I've never fucking heard of ever, including this dude named Jack, who is a uh, like a, a Sith clone with a with a crystal arm that has force powers. I have no idea what he's about, but he was cool. Um, it's you know it's funny, it's entertaining, it's Lego, so it's pretty low stakes. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this ride. And if I took all four of them together and called it a movie, 
which is fair because it'd be like an hour and 40 minute film you know all seven parts would be like over two hours um it's not bad it's not bad i mean it's lego it's meant for young kids you it's not gonna win any awards or blow anybody's mind but i really like the lego uh shorts because i think they're funny um and they're really good if you are really familiar with star wars there's a lot of like kind of deeper cut jokes um that i think land pretty well uh and i don't know i just it was just a fun ride. If I did call it a movie, I'd give it like a 6 out of 10, to be perfectly honest with you. It's one of my preferred bits of Star Wars media um, that is that is out there. I think because it doesn't take itself so seriously and it still has like the classic characters, I think it I think it does its job really well. Um, and I prefer it to, to a lot of other things I have seen, not only on those lists, but in terms of Star Wars itself. So it was it was a it was a good ride. I enjoyed this ride. I would love to see more Lego Star Wars stuff. So, I might. Who knows? I might seek it out. But it was, it was, it was fucking, it was fucking alright. It was fucking alright. It was well acted. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the forest work of a lot of these people. And, um, it's just, it's just cute. It's just fun to watch. So, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be a hard ass on it. Anyway. Lilo and Stitch. What a fucking classic. Oh my god, 2002, this movie's 18 years old! Oh god, oh I feel ancient. I used to have so much Lilo and Stitch stuff when I was a kid. I I watched the original movie, I watched all the straight to DVD movies, I watched every episode of the TV show, I had like a bunch of Stitch plushies, I had the Lilo and Stitch DVD board game. Oh my god, I fucking loved Lilo and Stitch. And you know what? To this day, that first movie still holds up. That first movie is fantastic. It looks phenomenal and timeless because of the watercolor backgrounds, which is not something you see in very many movies at all, ever. Um, the plot is is just simply splendid. Um, Nani is a terrible guardian for Lilo. I don't care what anybody says. Um, but, you know, at the end it all works out okay, and they they all find this this big happy family which was like almost thoroughbred designed to be the the cast of a tv show which is indeed eventually exactly what happened had three seasons and 65 episodes before it finally went off the air and the premise of the the show naturally was um to uh the the 625 experiments that came before stitch uh were like released on Hawaii, and they are all in these, like, water-activated capsules. Um, so each episode of the show basically dealt with a different experiment. Um, and indeed, some of the, some of the straight-to-DVD, uh, follow-ups also deal with, um, some of these experiments. And so we will be talking about that here in greater detail in a little bit, but let's, let's try and stick with the, with the original movie. Um, there are, there were a lot of changes made to this film because of 9-11, um, including the, the red spaceship at the very end used to be a plane, those sorts of things. Uh, one change I wasn't aware of that, uh, was implemented in this film was when Lilo hides in the original, uh, uh, US release, um, she hides in the dryer before she, she pops out and then gets like wrapped up in the blanket. In the UK release... She hides in a, like a little cupboard behind a pizza box, um, and that is the version that's on Disney Plus. And apparently, the reason they did this is because they did not want to um, influence children to hide in dryers, according to to Wikipedia. Which is fair, you know. 
that'd be that's a dangerous place and if the door closes on you you can't open it from the inside then you suffocate and die so and that's a change i can i can't hide all of the changes i um i can i can understand uh for sure and i i do love this idea of um the the story which is you know lilo lives with her older sister the parents died in a in a rainy car accident is what the movie tells us um, and Nani is trying to prove to a social worker that she is a is a good enough home, provides a good enough living environment for Lilo. And over the course of the movie, it's proven time and time again that Nani like can't get a job, constantly leave leaves Lilo a, a home alone, and like all these problems. Um, and then eventually, it kind of it kind of works out okay, thanks to to Ving Rhames being uh, being a cool guy. Um, but it's it's a it's a wonderful film. Um, I don't, I can't think of very many things wrong with it, to be perfectly honest with you. If, if the, if the, the biggest complaint I have is a happy ending, I would say. This, this movie doesn't seem like the type of movie that would really lend itself to a happy ending, but it gets it. It, it gets a happy ending. Um, and it has one of the, the more, like, detailed franchises and lifespans of, like, any Disney thing, really. I mean, there are four Lilo and Stitch movies. And a TV show. That's that's pretty significant. N like, not many not many Disney like franchises got four movies. You know, that's that's a pretty strong rarity. None of the of the things we've seen so far got four. At least in terms of animated. Um there's there's a couple that have three. There's plenty that have two. Um, but this is the first time we get four. Uh, uh, movies associated with uh, feature length films associated with with a property Lilo and Stitch was popular and it still is and it still is popular and the soundtrack is fantastic you got Elvis you got the the intro song which is one of my favorites and then you've got Hawaiian Roller Coaster Hawaiian Roller Coaster ride is the intro song then you got um, Hey Mele No Lilo which is sung later when they're surfing like oh my god I love those two songs to fucking pieces um, 9 out of 10 I'm gonna give Lilo Stitch a nine out of ten. I'm not giving it a perfect score um, on the on the fact that while I very much enjoyed the ending, I'm not entirely sure the movie deserved that. I feel like if I know it would have been incredibly dark and outside of line of the Disney, but if it had like a slightly more morose ending, then I I think it it would have been it, it might have been better. I'm not sure what kind of morose ending it it, it would have needed, but um, I don't know, it just feels like the tone of the movie would have lended itself to that pretty easily. Um, that being said, it still gets a 9 out of 10. If you have not seen this movie, you are doing yourself an incredible disservice, and you must watch Lilo and Stitch. Lilo and Stitch 2. Stitch has a glitch. Can fuck off the edge of my dick. Fuck that movie. Like, alright, no. I'm not, no. I finished it, but fuck that movie. Number one... That movie could have been fixed had Jumba and Pleakley just fucking told literally anybody else what was wrong with Stitch. Jumba knew, like, pretty early on, knew what was wrong with Stitch and didn't tell anybody. And then never explain it. They're just like, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to tell, fuck, nope, I'm just going to, it's going to do my thing and just keep that shit to myself. And so that causes all of the problems of this movie is that Jumba doesn't tell them what happens. And then when they fucking get to the end of the movie, 
and they get stitched in that fucking fusion fusion chamber, right? And he dies. He's brought back to life because of Lilo's fucking tears and a flower. And then Lee goes, how is this possible? And Jumbo goes, it isn't, but everything's okay now. And then they end with a hula dance. Fuck this movie. Movie's barely an hour long soaking wet. It isn't funny. The animation's fine. Like, no. It this you wanna talk about unnecessary sequels? Holy shit. Like, I had I, I like I watched this as a child. I had no memory of this movie. None. None at all. I'm pretty sure I have this movie on DVD somewhere. I have no memory of this fucking movie. Thank God. Because this movie is hot garbage. I finished it, but fuck this movie. Zero out of ten. No redeeming factors. Nothing good about this movie. This movie should not be witnessed by anybody. This movie is hot fucking stinky ass garbage. Fuck Lilo and Stitch. Two stitches a glitch. Fuck it right in the ass. I'm breaking alphabetical order so I can watch all the Lilo and Stitch movies together at the same time. So we jumped all the way down to S so I can watch Stitch the movie, which is the shortest film I have seen thus far. Actual film at 57 minutes long. Um, but it's better than Lilo and Stitch 2. The plot is a lot thinner and it is basically just like the first episode of the TV show, which I knew going in. Um, but it's fine. I mean, I actually remember bits of this one, um, unlike Lilo and Stitch 2, um, and I was a pretty big fan of the TV show when I was a kid, so, I mean, it's fine. It, it does its job of setting up the show. Um, it always irritated me that you have a show about tracking down 623 experiments, and they only did 65 episodes. I mean, you could have done them all. I remember when I was younger, I actually made a binder of um, pages that had, like, all the known names of the 625 experiments. Um, and I was trying to base what their abilities were off of that name. Like, Sparky does electrical stuff and so on. And Angel's a whore. You know? <laughs> just like, she's not a whore. What does she do? She, like, sings them? Here, hold on. There's a, there's a fucking there's a little blurb on him. Um, she stitches love interest. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. she can hypnotize other with a siren song that converts them from good to evil or vice versa if she sings backwards there you go that's a that's it um yes but she's uh she stitches love interest and they call each other bougie boo which apparently means loved one in their tantalog language anyway um yeah stitch the movie's fine it's better than Leon stitch 2 you still don't need to see it there's nothing there's nothing of value from that movie so, I'm just gonna give it like a fucking 3 out of 10 and we'll just move on. Leroy and Stitch is double trash because not only is it not a great movie on its own, but if you didn't watch the show, it's just, you're gonna get lamb blasted with just a whole fucking bunch of shit side characters that you don't know who or what they're about. So, like, and good luck, I am, let me check, I haven't checked. Lilo and Stitch. Okay, the show is not on Disney Plus. Um, at least not. It doesn't. Why isn't it? Hold on, serious. Is it on Disney Plus? Animated. Let me let me look for it manually because it didn't come up with the search. Let me just confirm this. Yes. No. Oh, it is on. Okay, 
It is there. I don't know why I didn't come up with the search. Two seasons. Wait, that's not right. There's There were three seasons. Right? Unless there's 30 episodes a season. It's 26 episodes in season two. And... Um, no, 39 episodes in season one. So... Yeah, that's 65. Okay, yeah, I guess there. Yeah, so Lilo and Stitch, the show, is on Disney+. Plus. So in order for you to fully appreciate Leroy and Stitch, you have to watch 65 episodes of a TV show because Leroy and Stitch is the movie they made um, to uh, to kind of wrap up the whole thing. And uh, who the fuck has time for that, quite frankly? It's it's absurd. Also, what the hell? Oh, that's weird. Um, oh, it's a show. Oh, it's a show. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm looking at, looking at TV series. I'm getting distracted. you back on movies. Um, it's fine. As fine. Is it offensive? No. Do you have to watch the show? Yes. I have fucking four out of three out of three, four out of ten. Who cares? Somewhere in that region, three or four out of ten. There's no, there's nothing really there. Um, although it does end with the power of music conquering the villain, and I'm always down for that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Alright, that's, that's Leo and Stitch done. Time to move on to the best goddamn movies ever. You know, I was all set to review this movie without actually rewatching it. Because it is my all-time favorite movie i was all set to just you know slap a nine out of ten you know it's amazing but it's not perfect and i'd move on but i decided to actually watch it because it has been at least a year since i've seen the lion king and i i looked at it objectively i i studied the movie critically i i took off my nostalgia goggles and i was like it's it's been 26 years since this movie has come out. How does it hold up? Is it as amazing as I remember? Is this worthy of being my all-time favorite movie slot? Does it maintain its crown? Is Lion King still the king? And I decided that it does not deserve a 9 out of 10. It gets a 10 out of 10. It's a perfect movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, even looking at this movie objectively, the pacing was solid. There's never a point in this movie where I feel like it doesn't keep moving. It, there's never like a, a low point or a slow point for me because each, like the start of each new scene is I, like almost iconic. Like you could take any scene of this movie out and just celebrate it. Um, the stampede scene. And how amazing that looked and how impactful Mufasa's death is. I went back and counted. There were four Disney movies up until this point that had meaningful deaths. This is the fourth one. Okay. Big Hero 6, the brother dies. Bambi, the mom dies. And what was my other one? I mean, obviously Mufasa dies in this one. I think there's one other I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But death used as a motivational tactic in Disney movies is very few and far between. What it was more common is the death fake out where you think somebody dies and then they don't actually is more common. So Mufasa's death in terms of alphabetical order is, is a Disney rarity um, that somebody actually dies and is not only incredibly emotionally impactful, just like Coco, it fucking made me cry. 
I've seen this movie. This was the first movie I saw in theaters. I was probably less than a year old when I saw this movie in theaters. So I like I've seen it my entire life and it still makes me cry. I challenge anybody. It's so it's so fucking perfect. And the fact that it didn't make me cry in the remake, there's a lot of problems with the remake, but I'm talking about the remake. You can take any scene out of this movie and it's iconic. Mufasa in the clouds, like the whole fucking final act of that 13 minute chunk of, of like Simba going back to Pride Rock and fighting Scar and the hyenas and all of that shit, the rise and fall of it, just fucking phenomenal. The music is what does it for me. I think the animation's beautiful, the acting's fantastic, the characters are so well developed, but it's the music. It's the Hans Zimmer score combined with the Elton John, Tim Rice classic Lion King songs. Every song sung in this movie is a fucking banger, and they're all incredible. There is not a weak song in the movie. You got Circle of Life, you got Can't Wait to Be King, you got Hakuna Matata, and then you've got the fucking score, which is almost as impactful as the songs and in many cases it's more so especially when it's those amazing scenes of just fucking landscapes and this incredible beautiful score just overlaying it like with some studio ghibli shit there's no characters there's no dialogue it's just gorgeous animation with incredible music and that happens a lot in this movie and it's fucking beautiful it is absolutely beautiful now there's, there's all those people out there who go, oh, it's just fucking Kimba the White Lion or whatever the fuck that thing was from the 60s. But no, it isn't. And no, it isn't. Because fucking Kimba the White Lion didn't have this amazing soundtrack or these incredible songs. I know it's it pulls from a lot of places. Hamlet, for example, like, obviously. But it really is its own thing. You know, it takes inspiration from all of these classic stories and it, it creates something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Like, this is better than Hamlet. I don't, I'm not much for Shakespeare, but this is better than Hamlet. This is the best version of Hamlet. Come on. Come on, it's the fucking Lion King. Perfect movie. Like, my, my original thing going in, like, without rewatching it, I was going to be like, oh, that bit in the second act when... When, they're, you know, Simba and Nala are fighting and Simba's like, you don't know what I've been through. And Nala's like, oh, what if you just tell me? Forget it. Fine. Be like, well, he's just being like a little, he's just being a little shit, you know? I was going to knock it down for that. But after rewatching it, I think Simba and Nala are one of the, one of the best developed relationships in a Disney movie. You know, they start off as kids that, you know, they like, oh, I can't marry her. She's my friend. Yeah, it'd be super weird. And then they're, they're separated for anywhere between like three to five years, depending on how, how old Simba is when he leaves. Um, I Googled it. I was actually curious, like how long of a gap we're talking. And it's about three to five years. Um, cause lions reach the age of maturity around three or four. And then they challenge rival males between four and five. Is, is what I, I learned in my my quick Google search. So it's been, it's you know, it's been a number of years. Um, and then, of course, Can You Feel the Love Tonight just fucking summarizes their rekindled passions in about a three-minute song fucking beautifully. Um, this is also the only movie where I hung around in the credits to listen to Elton John sing The Circle of Life with that fucking saxophone. 
God damn it, that's the best fucking... Ugh. I love this movie so goddamn much. It is... It's incredible. And some of those lines, like, they just stick with you. Oh, man. You deliberately disobeyed me. And what's worse, you put Nala in danger. Just, oh, my God. Ugh. I mean, watching... I believe I counted it. I believe this is the 80th movie I've seen since I started this. Um, and it's it's flawless. Absolutely flawless. And it it's beggar's belief that they were able to took this take this perfect fucking movie and absolutely destroy it with a remake. Just a, a an abomination of of a fucking perfect movie and they just dragged it right through the fucking mud for money. And I mean, it's it's weird because I'm like that had a solid cast and it had a really good director, but they made one crucial decision that fucked them in the ass, and that was to make it photorealistic and make it so none of the animals could emote ever, because a lion can't cry, therefore the realistic looking lion in that fucking movie couldn't cry, and that was your downfall. The most compelling character in the Lion King remake is Rafiki because at least he has human-like emotions. Or the ability to showcase human-like emotions. Because he's the closest to a person. Anyway, I'm not talking about that movie. And I never will again. Because fuck that movie. Um, but yes, The Lion King is... Technically flawless. It is... Plot-wise perfect. The Everything about it is just fantastic. I cannot sing its praises loudly enough. And if you haven't seen The Lion King... Then... Who... I know what you're watching tonight. And it's the fucking Lion King. My third perfect movie out of 80 films. Three. And I've gotten a 10 out of 10. And that was Inside Out, Lion King, and Coco. Those are the top three. I'd be willing to bet by the end of this we might get five. But I doubt we'll get more than that. Lion King gets a 10 out of 10. I can't give it anything less Lion King one and a half is admittedly the weakest of the Lion King trilogy. I don't think I'm going to blow anybody's minds by saying that statement. That being said, it's still like head and shoulders better than most of the straight to video Disney sequels I've suffered recently. Um, at least this one has like some some decent songs, including a song written by John and Tim Rice. So that's got to count for something. I was going to say it has like all the original cast members returning um, and that were in the first movie, but that unfortunately is not a rarity in Disney sequels. That seems to be the only thing that's standard about Disney sequels is that they are somehow able to convince the original cast to return despite the relative crappiness of the sequel. I'm not sure how they're able to do that. It's probably money, but they're able to do that. Like even Matt, like Matt Broderick came back for this one as well. Um, and he didn't even come back for two I don't think. I'm pretty sure, too, Simba's voiced by Cam Clark, not Matthew Broderick. Um, so that's just just astounding to me right then and there. Um, especially because Lion King 1.5 comes came out after Lion King 2. Um, and in some countries, it's called Lion King 3 Hakuna Matata. Um, it has the, the Mystery Science Theater 3000 style of, of movie watching, where you see the black silhouette cutouts, which is just super funny. Those bits are those bits are great. Um, it's got the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead 
thing where it is both simultaneously a prequel to Lion King and it runs parallel to the events of the first film, um, including having many of the original songs from that movie in like weird redone versions in this film. Um, and you know, that's, I think it's fine because unlike, uh, Jungle Book 2, where it was basically just repeating the scenes, um, this one, it was, it was retelling the scenes and then adding in some fun bonus stuff. Like when Simone's trying to, trying to split up, uh, Simba and Nala and Can You Feel the Love Tonight by like attacking them with bugs. Um, I just think that that whole sequence is funny. Um, a lot of people gave this movie guff. Well, not a lot of people. One of the points of controversy for this film is the uh, in-canon statement that Timon and Pumbaa became surrogate dads to Simba um, in the uh, in the jungle, basically. And I don't think that is out of line. Um, and it makes sense to me that they would form that sort of relationship because Simba is still very young when he meets Timon and Pumbaa. And he basically spends a couple of years with him, them growing up. So, it, I mean, it's it works for me. I don't know why anybody would have an issue with that. Um, that, like, Timon isn't, like, uh, like, a surrogate father figure. I think that makes total sense. And it's even, like, compounded in um, Lion King 2 when um, Simba asks Timon and Pumbaa to keep an eye on Kiara. So, I think that all works out totally fine. Um, if there was a moment, or if there was an aspect of this film I felt was a little weak, um, I enjoy Timon's family in the beginning of the movie, but after spending so long in this movie without them, uh, when they come back at the very end, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel right. Like, they don't, like, outside of, like, Timon's mom, like, going to look for him, they don't have any reason to be there, and they feel kind of shoehorned in, um, right there at the very end. So I'm not a big fan of that, and the movie gets like knocked down a little bit for that. Um, I enjoy the growth of Timon and Pumbaa's relationship. I think they do a really good job of developing that, uh, how they met and how they became friends. I think was uh, was really well done. Uh, there's a lot of funny sequences in this movie. I think the movie is legitimately funny, um, and it helps to have legitimately funny people be Timon and Pumbaa and that's where the the fucking remake lost a beat was that Seth Rogen's funny and I'm sure Billy Eichner can be funny too but the problem was they weren't funny together Nathan Lane and, and Ernie what's his face uh, uh fucking Savile is that is that how you pronounce it I'm not really sure um uh Ernie Sabella there we go uh met during auditions um I believe Nathan Lane auditioned to be Zazu and Ernie auditioned to be one of the hyenas, and then they uh, put them together to both play hyenas, and then the director uh, liked them so much that he cast them as Timon and Pumbaa. So their natural chemistry is what makes Timon and Pumbaa funny. Like, they're funny separately, but they're funniest together as, like, a fucking duo, and they play really well off of each other, and this movie is built upon that relationship, and it succeeds because of that, because Timon and Pumbaa are just genuinely funny characters uh with with a lot of heart to them and this movie really capitalizes on that and it augments the original story and it adds some funny bits um unlike other straight to disney sequels where i i claim that these movies have little value to offer from a viewing perspective the animation in this movie is just as good as the original um the acting is just really good it's legitimately funny uh so it is an entertaining ride unabashedly 
Uh, it comes out 10 years after the first one, so it's only 16 years old. Um, and it gets a uh, it gets a seven out of ten from me. Uh, Lion King one and a half. It is it is one of the one of the better straight to DVD sequels. It's it's edged out by a couple of things, including the movie we're about to talk about. And the final movie we will talk about for this episode of my animated Disney review is of course Lion King two Simba's Pride, which. It didn't occur to me until I was thinking about it last night that Simba's pride has a fucking double meaning. Not only is it about the group of lions that Simba's a, a part of, but it also is really built around Simba's pride of of like emotional level because the story is uh is basically Romeo and Juliet. You've got the two uh, warring factions of lions, the the Outlanders and the Pride Landers. And Simba banished all the Outlanders um, after the fall of Scar, because they were, like, loyalists, basically. Um, and Kobu was Scar's handpicked heir, and not um, his legitimate son. At least according to the plot of this movie. And, you know, um, Zero trains him to, to be evil, and to use Kiara as a stepping stone to get to Simba. He, he falls in love with Kiara... And then, you know, uh, Kiara and Kobu show Simba the error of his ways. And he welcomes all the lions back into the pride. Uh, and Zero dies. Um, the death count in this movie is pretty high for a Disney movie. Two characters, two named characters die uh, over the course of this film. And that's a pretty uncommon thing uh, to happen in a Disney movie. Uh, first, Andy Dick kicks the bucket, which I'm okay with because fuck Andy Dick. And then uh, Zero kicks the bucket. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's daring, especially for a, a straight to video movie like Lion King to Simba's Pride. Um, that being said, this is one of the best straight to, uh, DVD movies that has ever come out of, uh, Disney Toon Studios. Um, indeed, I felt like this thing could have been released in the theaters and it probably would have done pretty damn well. It's really good. The songs are amazing. Uh, for a straight to uh, video sequel and just in general they're just really good song he lives in you the new intro song is amazing i fucking love that song and there's a like an extended version of it on um on the soundtrack like the physical soundtrack that's like five minutes long and it's amazing um uh we are one uh upendi um uh the the like the the exile song which i can't remember uh what that's called um, it's fucking, uh, what is that one called? Um, shit, I can't remember, but that's a good one too. And then, um, the, the love song that Kiara and Cobra sing, um, that, that's amazing as well. I can't remember what any of these songs are called. Lion King 2, Lion King 2, um, it'll, it'll come up on the fucking Wikipedia page. Uh, this is a fucking, um... So one of us is the Kovu song. Love will find a way. That's that's the one. And there's a uh, there's a version of Love will find a way sung by Kenny Lattimore and uh, Heather uh, Headley, who was also in, um, I believe she was in the Lion King production, or I'm confusing her with somebody else. Who am I confusing her with? I think I'm confusing her with the um, shit. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, it's. Fucking, it's it's a great goddamn movie with a great goddamn soundtrack, and it deserves to be 
to be lauded and recognized um, for its its uh, performance. It's just it's really good. I mean, it's it's the classic Romeo and Juliet story. It is better than Lion King one and a half. It's not as good as the first one, but it's damn fucking close. It is damn fucking close. So I'm going to give Lion King two. I think eight. I think eight out of ten is is a is a good score for uh for this movie. Um, and I I do love this movie. And it's not like there's anything really wrong with it. It's just you know, it's good. It's not perfect, but it's good. It's really good. I'm I'm a big fan of it. Um, and that'll be that'll be it for this week's of of Disney movie reviews. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen movies reviewed on this particular episode. Well, seventeen pieces of film media reviewed. Um, not all of them were movies, strictly speaking. So yes, uh, thank you all very much for listening. And I'll see you all next week uh, for the next batch of movies where uh, we're going to finish up the letter L and um, that's, and probably make a, a good bit of the way through the letter M. There's a lot of movies that begin with M, at least on Disney+. Plus. There's a lot of visual media pieces that begin with M. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll see, including some real crap-ass movies. So, oh boy, I'm, uh, I'm, all right, here we go.